Behind the Brand features the people who are making things happen. Get the insight to grow your biz from experts who've done it. Get Behind the Brand. This episode is brought to you by Veridesk. Veridesk makes office furniture simple. Seriously. Everyone probably knows their height-adjustable stand-up desk. I use it every day in my video production business. It was really the first step to create a happier, healthier me because I was sitting all the time, losing circulation, and standing up just feels a lot healthier. Today, Veridesk has a full line of furniture and accessories for the office or the classroom, and they make it easy to order, assemble, and change around as you need it. You really got to check them out. Just go to veridesk.com forward slash behind the brand and take a look. Hi, I'm Brian Elliott. Welcome to another edition of Behind the Brand. Today I'm here with pro skater Tony Hawk. Tony, welcome to the show. All right, thank you. I always ask my guests, how'd you get this job? Well, I guess the, the most basic version of that is I was at the top of the amateur ranks when I was a teenager, when I was about 13 years old. I, you know, skating was relatively small and, and I, had, I was winning most of the events as an amateur and they said, well, you know, it's time to turn pro. And it, that seems weighty now, but, but back then it was literally just checking the pro box instead of the amateur box in the entry form for the competition. Yep. Um, and that was it. I was a pro at 14. This was back in the 80s? In the 80s, yeah. What was, the, what was action sports like? What was skateboarding like back in the 80s? In the, in the early, mid-80s, well, I'd say more early 80s, it was, it was just considered more of a novelty. You know, it was, it was likened to yo-yos and frisbees. It was just like, oh, it's a fad. It was happening, you know, late 70s, and it's dying. It's not cool anymore. You've got to grow out of it. <laughs> you know, basically, if you reach an age, of respons- an age of responsibility, you weren't supposed to be skating anymore. Yeah, you've got to get a real job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And, and, and to be fair, no one was really making a living at it anyway, so they really did have to find a real job. Um, luckily, I was at an age that I didn't necessarily have to find a job. I was still in school. And so uh, as skating started sort of coming back in popularity, people started appreciating the, I think, more of the, the athletics of it, you know, the, the, the skills of the, of the top guys and, and yeah. really the acrobatics of it. And where were you skating? Were you just skating around your neighborhood or? Um, I was skating around my neighborhood for the first, I think, year of, of my, you know, my venture into skating at all. This is like San Diego area? San Diego, yeah. I just lived in, I live in a neighborhood. Um, a lot of, uh, a lot of military families in that area and, and a lot of alleys. And so every once in a while someone would build a little wood ramp in their alley and everyone would go skate that and, and then, you know, someone would complain or it would get wrecked and then we'd find somewhere else. And then eventually found my way to the skate park in San Diego. And that's when I really, that's when it clicked for me. When I saw, when I saw the skaters, you know, the more, the, the more advanced skaters jumping in and out of empty swimming pools, you know, and they actually were, were getting airborne. And I thought, yeah. that's, I want to do that. Whatever I, however I get there, I want to do that. That's awesome. So we're here in Tony Hawk headquarters, basically the birdhouse. Um, you've stayed local. Uh, why is why is this area special to you? What what is it about this area that Southern California became a hub of of skate industry because a lot of the companies were already here, or the people who are interested in skating were were here. The weather is good year round for the most part, and there was support. You know, there was a support system in place. There were there were skate parks. There were magazines. Um, and and same is true for Northern California. It had its own sort of scene, but definitely it was it was um, cultivating. Not many other places in the country were were that supportive of skating. Um, and so growing up here and, and appreciating and 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 really living, you know, 
growing up in the beach culture lifestyle, I wasn't going to leave once, <laughs> once I grew up. Was it hard? Like, you know, it's, it's, not what it, uh, it's not what it is today, where it's a lot more accepted or mainstream, I guess you could say, with the influence of X Games and everything. But, you know, you talk to a lot of skateboarders, and, and they still kind of feel like it's very anti-establishment. You've got no skating signs of everywhere. How did, you, how did that make you feel uh, as an athlete? Um, well, I liked, I liked that what I was doing was different. You know, I grew up at a time when skating was the furthest thing from cool, and so I was in high school basically being made fun of on a daily basis because I did skate or because I took it seriously. So I, don't, I never did mind that it was considered alternative or different or whatnot, you know, and, and I liked that it gave me my own identity and that I wasn't following the herd, so to speak. Um, but at the same time, I always felt like, why doesn't anyone appreciate this? This is really amazing stuff, you know, and, and the stuff that they like you know, the evil Knievel type stuff, this really lends itself to that. I could never understand why that appreciation didn't come. It, did, it has come since then. Um, but at the same time, it is, it is somewhat coveted, and it is sort of our own thing that we created. There's a different culture, isn't there? There's the skate culture, and uh, it seems like every action sport or every, every action sport or every core sport has kind of got their vibe. But skating is its own unique thing, isn't it? Um, I think skating is, is definitely unique, but... At the same time, there, you know, I, 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 I can liken it to, say, like BMX stunt riding came into play when it was just considered not something that was healthy to do for kids. And, and they were, the, you know, they're the first ones to ever create giant ramps. And so I do see some similarities. And in snowboarding, I mean, <clears throat> snowboarding had to fight for its acceptance. Right. You know, it was, it was like the, the bastard child of the mountain for yeah. so many years. Yeah. Um, and not allowed on the mountains. Still, to this day, not allowed on some mountains. And so I definitely see the similarities, but I feel like skating has, is more prolific in that it's become more of a lifestyle, and you can do it anywhere. Yeah, it's true. I mean, even if you don't skate, what everyone is wearing at school is all basically surf or skate or some sort of, you know... The reason that is is that, is that skating has always been progressive and always always taken bits and pieces from the culture but but wanting to make it different and make it its own and, and it you know it became sort of a beacon of fashion as well looking back you know how is it now i mean you go to the grocery store probably like everybody else <laughs> yeah how is it um it's it's still strange to be recognized for doing this when when it was not appreciated for so long you know especially when it wasn't when it was something that i was chastised for as a kid um, but at the same time, I never have taken it for granted. I, I appreciate it all. I appreciate that I do get these privileges and, and that I do get to still do it for a living at my age. And, and so um, it's fun, you know, and, and I, don't, I, don't, I definitely don't try to deny it or discount it or, or pass it off, you know. And if someone is happy to see me, I'm happy to see them. So walk us through kind of X Games time. You had great success. Um, how did the X Games, you think, kind of change your career and how did that and, and let's talk about maybe video games as well you started kind of branching out and doing other things talk to us about how that evolved um well i think uh the x games helped to propel skating into the into the mainstream in terms of the the appreciation but but more so it created a fan base for skating you know it was, it was in the late 90s when it started to take off and kids were watching it you know this is mtv generation kids it was all about high action and fast paced movements and, and skating fit right in. You know, as soon as someone jumped on a skateboard, it was, it was instant action and, and daredevil feats and things like that. And, and they were, I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to discount team sports, but they were bored of waiting for the pitch and waiting for the play. You know what I mean? They don't, their, their, their attention span was way faster. And so skating fit right into that. 
And so I think that the way that it was presented on TV, um, they really enjoyed it. You know, it was suddenly, oh, it was a, this is a youth culture. This is, and these these guys who are the the professionals or the superstars of it are accessible. They're real people. You know, they do this because they love it. They don't do it because they get a million dollar salary. And I was competing at that time, and and I guess because my name resonated from the 80s as well you know I was a more recognizable figure in those events um, but but I did I did really well especially you know through the first few years of the X Games kind of 95 to 2000 ish um, you know I had a really good winning streak um, and I started getting more opportunities outside of just the skate industry um, and so I guess I was the first one to sort of branch out in that respect um, you know and a lot of it was to ridicule because people thought, you know, well, you can't, this, this is our thing. And it was like... That's a typical knee-jerk reaction from the core, though, isn't it? Um, like, it is, and, and, and that's fine, you know, and especially if, if you hold something so sacred and you don't want other people to discover it, I totally understand that, but I never felt like that about skating. I've had signature products with my name on it. They just didn't sell. So people call you sellout when your stuff finally sells. But at the same time, when I was, you know, 17, 18... If someone had offered me an endorsement like with McDonald's or with some big company that I believed in, you know, like I, to this day I still eat McDonald's, um, I would have jumped on it. But no one was knocking on the door. But, you know, I think the irony about that is that you stayed so true to your core. Well, I realized that, that I was able, in order, you know, in taking those sort of endorsements on and things, I, I made... I made demands that, look, nothing, none of this, you know, you can't do any marketing with my, my image or likeness unless I have final approval over it or unless it's, I have some say in it, or, you know, in the direction. And that was the key. That was the key to, to keeping it core, but also to using, to using their giant advertising dollars in order to promote skateboarding in general. Yeah, I think that's why so many people love and admire you. I mean, you are truly this pioneer and you, you know, You've brought so many people into the sport, and you've brought such an acceptance, and um, then paved the way for so many other amateur and future pro athletes. I mean, that's—I mean, you're the guy. You're the godfather. You're the godfather. <laughs> I almost want to kiss the ring. I had to test the waters. <laughs> so, a lot of people who are watching this show—you know—they have startups, they're small business owners, they're entrepreneurs. Um, talk to us about innovation. Um, you know, it's—you started to innovate with different moves. Um, were you the first one to do the 900? Yeah. Now talk to us about that. How do you innovate? And then maybe kind of talk to us about how then you started this enterprise. You know, the, you have a foundation. You've got, you know, the, your production company that does um, the ride channel now. You've got all these other things going on. Talk to us about innovation. Well, I think in, in terms of, of innovation and skating, it was just always my drive to learn new tricks. And that, that's what got me hooked on skating. It was, the, it was the feeling of making something for the first time. You have to continue challenging yourself. And I think that's the key to success and longevity in our sport is that it doesn't matter how, far, how you rate, even if you're number one, you better learn something new and you better keep challenging yourself or, or they're going to forget about you. In business, I took the same, I guess I took the same attitude in that what is next? What, what else, what is new? What can we do to keep improving? And... Um, like when I had a chance to work on a video game, I jumped, I jumped into it. I mean, I worked on it for over two years nonstop in terms of lending my expertise, my approval, um, my resources. Obviously, it paid off, but, it, but for me, it just paid off in the sense that skaters appreciated the game because it represented skating well and it was fun to play. How did you deal with the success then? You know, going from, you know, humble skater... I had it, like I had a... a kind of huge wave of success in the late 80s right as I was like getting out of high school and 
that's when I that's when I made my most mistakes in terms of learning like not to allow people to just use my name and likeness because I signed a I signed a contract and they gave me a paycheck. Yeah. Um, luckily, it was the '80s and it was somewhat forgivable, and YouTube didn't exist then. So right. well, let's talk about <laughs> some of those mistakes, and not not from you know just like what you what you did wrong, but maybe in hindsight, so you can kind of share insights with people. Uh, who well, are... I gave like I gave one company who was licensing. They they used to do like these keychain skateboards, um, and I didn't know any better, so I just you know signed their contract and they gave me a, a, a upfront money and and royalties. But then they just started making anything and everything that they wanted with with logos I'd never even seen before with my name. Really junky co- products anyway, but at the same time, I, I just didn't like the aesthetic of it. And I came to them and I said, you guys can't make the, you know, this, this logo's terrible. This is a ripoff of this other company anyway. And they're like, yeah, we can. You sign the paperwork. And then so I ended up sort of spending my own money to get out of that contract uh, and learning from that that if I ever get those chances again, I'm going to you know, I'm going to have final approval over it. And when I did get the chance again, like in the, in the late 90s, you know, so I kind of lived through that. And, and even though skating was popular and I was somewhat recognized, it wasn't mainstream popular at that kind of level. And then when, the, when skating came back in popularity in the late 90s, and that's when my video game hit, I had the clout to say no. That was the most important thing for me. Did you have? Did you get a manager? Did you get a team? Did you get a posse? A bunch of lawyers? I mean, how did um, you, what was the I, process? I had an agent, but in the beginning, the agent was just fielding the deals I brought in, um, and eventually was work, working for me and, and getting other things as well. But but always it was a there was always a bit of a struggle in terms of what I would approve of yeah. and what the agent wanted. <laughs> you know what I mean? And yeah. and and uh, I think the biggest lesson I learned in terms of trusting my instincts was that when the video game was just about to be released, um, they offered me pretty good money up front, sort of a buyout of future royalties. And at the time, like I was doing, I was doing pretty well. I just bought a house. I just started a family. You know, I, I felt, I felt more comfortable and more confident with my career than I ever have in my life. And I said, you know what, I'm just, I'm just going to ride it out. I'd, I'd rather see how this does. And I mean, truly the, the money they were offering me compared to the money that I ended up making in the end was, you know, 20 times that. So your message maybe is, you know, it's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, you look at long term. You have to see it through, though. You know, you can't just do something, and if you have a taste of success, let that go. Or, or think that you're going you're gonna to rely on that for the rest of the time. You've yeah. got to keep progressing. Then you started uh, Birdhouse, right? You started making skateboards. I started Birdhouse actually long before that and, and sort of... <laughs> uh, struggled with Birdhouse for quite a few years before it, it eventually took off. So what were some of the early problems? This was like the early 90s, right? Yeah, I started Birdhouse in 92. Like, the first X Games didn't hit till 95. So I would say the years, like, 92 to 97 were very um, rocky. Selling hard goods, skateboards, was difficult enough. Skating was, was relatively underground at the time. Um keeping a team together and happy and motivated was difficult. I was the team manager and creative director, so I was doing all the ads and all the videos as well. Um, but at the same time, skating just as much as I could. So I, I was spread thin in terms of my responsibility. I think in those days I learned like, oh, you know, you're not the best artist. You're not the best um, ad layout guy or video maker. You should leave that to the people who are really good at it. So when I eventually, you know, had, when I was successful enough to hire those types of people, that's exactly what I did. Talk to us about the foundation. So 
um, you're officially retired from professional skating. Yeah, I stopped. I stopped uh, competing right after like '99, 2000 X Games. Um, you know, I still do once in a while, but but it's just more like I. It opened up my opportunities so much more to explore other things, do tours, you know, travel more, and and video games and things like that. I mean, that that's the. I guess that's the misconception behind what retirement is in skating. If you don't compete, you can have a much more successful career because you have a lot more time to skate and to, to do other projects and to do videos and things like that. Around that time, when I stopped competing, I was starting getting invited to a lot of events and, and doing exhibitions and things like that. And some of them included new skate park openings. In fact, public skate park openings. And so I went to a few of them you know, as the special guest, and, and usually it was in, in an affluent area. The city council was very proud of themselves. They created a skate park. You know, they're hip all of a sudden. And they were hiring me, which, you know, when I think back now, like, what a waste of their funding is to hire me to come skate this park. You know what I mean? Like, it could have been used to make a better park. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I went to a couple of them, and, and one in particular I went to, it was right outside of Chicago, I flew in the night before, and, and the city council members were all there, and they said, oh, do you want to have a sneak preview of the park? And so I said, yeah, sure. And I started skating, and it was, it was terrible. I mean, it was like, it was like a, someone's version of a skate park because they saw it on TV or in a video game yeah. and said, I can do that, and you know, I know how to pour cement. Um, and it was like barely skatable, wasn't fun at all, and, and they were all watching me and, you know, sort of chomping at the bit, waiting for me to get done, and then I came back and they said, what do you think? And I said, honestly, it's, it's really bad, it's not fun, it's not, it's designed poorly, and, and they said, oh, you know, that's what all the kids said that when we were making it, and we said, yeah, well, wait till Tony Hawk gets here, because he'll show you how to skate it. Um, and as, you know, as flattering as that was supposed to be, I realized, like, what a disconnect that was between the kids they're providing for, the, the real skaters that want, you know, that will appreciate such a place and shine from it because it'll keep them out of whatever areas that the, the city councils don't want them skating. Yeah. Right there is where I decided I want to do something about this. I want to bridge that gap, um, be a resource for that, be a spokesperson for it, but more importantly, to direct those funds to the needier areas where the kids don't have any sort of positive activities or outlets. And that's when I started my foundation. So maybe some of the bigger brands that are watching this uh, might want to get involved with your foundation. So what does it cost to create a skate park these days? Well, the, the, Ballpark. The, the, cost, the, the cost of a skate park varies. I mean, it can be, you know, anywhere from, say, $50,000 to a million, two million. Um, but what our foundation does is, is we, we take grant applications, we assess them of how much work that they've been doing for themselves. You know, our, our foundation's mission is not to just plug a skate park in where we think one is necessary. Right. We want to empower the people that have already started that process, give them the resources, give them some funding, but most of all, give them an endorsement to get it pushed through the channels. Um, and so our biggest grant in a round of grants that we do a couple times a year is $25,000. But usually with that, <clears throat> with, with that funding or with that grant, they will end up getting much more donations because they have our money and the people know that... The, You're the driving force behind it or the Yeah, endorser. the project is legitimate and it has our approval and that, that we, have, we have recognized that all the work they're doing. Um, I think we, among the $4 million that we've given away over the last 10 years, that has helped to generate over $90 million in other funding. 
that's what our foundation does is, is becomes a resource. You know, even for someone that just wants to, how do I do a skate park? Like without having tried anything, um, we, have, we have a manual for that. And, and then how does that make you feel? I mean, is it, it's a new chapter in your life. It must be very fulfilling. Um, oh, it's a blast. I, you know, as of our last round of grants, we are now at 500 um, skate parks that, that we've donated money to that are open. And are you doing them just in the United States or the, the abroad as well? In the United States, yeah. We don't have the staff or the funding to do it internationally yet, but, I mean, that, you know, that's the ultimate goal. And we do have, you know, we have, a few, uh, we have a few underwriting sponsors. We have a few corporate sponsors and things, but mostly we get our funding um, from a fundraising event that we do each year. We do twice a year, one in Los Angeles and one in Las Vegas, and we do big auction items and... and um, you know, we do big skate exhibitions, it's a big family fun day, like all these different activities and, and skating as well. And I would imagine some of your friends show up to help out. Um, yeah, it's generally, you know, we do a big, we do a skate demo. We actually do a demo on this ramp that we're, we're, we're doing the interview on right now. This, this thing is very portable. This is so, portable? Oh, yeah. This thing, this, this ramp right here can go up in two hours. Wow. And, and how tall is it? Uh, uh, it's 14 feet. So it's basically like an Olympic-sized pool, as deep as. And I'm looking up here over my shoulder here, where you drop in from probably like 20 feet. Oh, that's just to give you a little more speed, so you don't have to work your way up A little up more to speed, it. yeah. <laughs> it's more, that's more like the lazy way to get speed. Sure. And I'm not too proud to say I'll do it anytime. And how high do you think you can get up off of this lip here? Uh, well, usually like, like the, the general height is anywhere from 6 to 12 feet. That's, that's usually where you're the ranges for a ramp this size. It's pretty amazing, you know, guys like Sean White, Bucky Lassick, Andy McDonald, Matt Hoffman, um, you know, they all come and skate live for the, the people that bought tickets. And yeah. um, it's very intimate. It's very cool. And then how much do you hope to raise just in one shot? Our goal for each event is about a million dollars. And sometimes we, we go over that. Usually it's anywhere from six hundred to 800000 we raise for parks at each event. How do you get an invite to something like that? Uh, well, standupforskateparks.org. Okay. <laughs> that's, that's the event, and that's where you can get tickets or buy a table, or, or you can actually sponsor kids from a needy areas to go to the event. So just looking at this, I mean, this scares me to death. I, I've been skateboarding all my life, but just recreationally, just for fun, just like any other kid in Southern California. Tony, what are you afraid of? You know, having four kids, um, I, that's, that's my biggest fear is anything happening to them or that, you know, somehow I'm not around to help them when they're in need because what I do requires quite a bit of travel. You know, I'm gone almost half the time. And so um, that's, that's my biggest concern is, is for their well-being and that I, I am able to provide for them. Well, I think that's a good topic. You know, a lot of people struggle with this work-life balance thing. Um, maybe it's a little different than when you were, you know, maybe on tour and doing all these things. But yeah. how do you, what's some of the tips and advice you can get for people who are trying to manage... <clears throat> My best tip is to prioritize, um, and that's to only do the things you feel like are important and will have the most resonance. Don't grab every little opportunity because it may not have that reach that, that is worth your time. You know, and that's, that's really the bottom line is what is worth your time and what is worth your time away from your family. Um, and uh, it's, that's, that's, the, that's the biggest challenge in my life. What do you do, though, when you're, when you, you know, it's hand-to-mouth, and a lot of us are, and you know, you have to have that time away. You got to work to provide. Well, yeah, you got to, you know, you got to do it. And, and like I said, I, I travel half the time, and I'm doing the things that I'm prioritizing. You know, if I if I took every opportunity, I could be gone all the time, but that just wouldn't be worth it. So 
I think that uh, you've got to do whatever works, but, but know that in, in, especially in doing, following your passion and doing what you love, um, even if it's not the most financially stable or successful thing, you are enjoying your work. And I feel like that's what's most important. You're enjoying what you do and you're, you're living the dream. Even if the dream isn't making you millions, that doesn't matter. I mean, that, you know, you're going to wake up and want to go to work. Yeah, and I suppose, and a lot of people said this too, that if you love what you're doing, you're going to get better at it. And You're going to get better at it, but, but also if you love what you do, the, I can't recommend enough learning, <clears throat> learning every aspect of it. Even if things don't interest you, even if the, you know, the, the, the bookkeeping doesn't interest you or the manufacturing doesn't, learn it because it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit you in the future. Um, and you're going to know if something is going wrong and you're going to have a much better handle on it. You know, I've learned so many things I never imagined that I would care about in my life. Um, but I'm glad I did, and now I understand when people are talking about IPs and, <laughs> and IPOs and marketing and viral marketing and agencies and, and all that kind of stuff. Like, I, I, I totally understand it. And it's fun because sometimes you can, you can call bull on people's perspectives, you know, because they think that they're talking above you, and you're like, no, I know what you're saying, and you're just talking in circles. Let's talk a little about uh, digital technology, social media. How has social media changed your life or changed the way you do business? How that's changed is, is it's given me the best unfiltered feedback, almost like a focus group of people who are interested in what I'm doing. You know, and, and I, can, I can ask questions and get immediate replies. So it's also, really you. Yeah, it's me, yeah. yeah. I mean, you have nearly 3 million followers on Twitter, I think, last I oh. checked. It's you. It's, it's you. me, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't really... I mean, it's, I want this to be my voice. I want people to know that they are connecting with me, and, and I don't trust someone else to put it out there. Yeah, some, some athletes, some celebrities have, you know, assistants doing their yeah, thing. And, and that's fine, you know, if that's what they want to do, but you just know you're getting the sanitized version of who they are. Yeah. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I'm the real deal. Like, this is me. I'm, you know, scarred up and still skating, and probably older than, than most people who are doing this for profession, but, um, but this is who I am, and, and I, you know, I, I want to I represent myself well, and I want to project what is true and what is happening. And so, um, but also it's just, it's such a good way to, to spread information. You know, beyond getting, beyond being interactive with people, it's, it's just like, look, this is out today, you know what I mean? Or, or you know, the, like right now, I'm releasing a best of game of our first. Uh, I'm releasing a best of our first two games for the newer systems for Xbox 360 and PS3, and people can see how I'm ramping up for that, and, and I and I can show them the the development of it, you know, in in my own way, and and like like with me playing it or screen grabs or or when we're getting scanned or the the skaters who are getting included in it, and whenever bands get confirmed for it, I can put that information out there without having to worry about oh, here's your talking points, and here's the press release on that. I think you've been pretty innovative, too, with the way you've used it, especially Twitter. I've, and I watched some of the scavenger hunt-style stuff oh, that you've yeah. done. Talk to, how'd you come up with that? I was literally driving here one day, and I thought, I wonder what happens if I just like, threw a skateboard off on the side of the road. So I pulled, I didn't do it on the side of the road, but I pulled off on this cul-de-sac and sort of hid it behind this bush and just said, hey, I just dropped a skateboard this cul-de-sac, go find it. And by the time I got here, which was 10 minutes later, um, there was just this flurry of activity on, on Twitter, you know, in terms of, of my, my message and retweeting it and replies and things like that. And, and, uh, and by the time I got here, there was a girl with a picture holding it 
in that spot. Like I found it. Ten minutes later. Ten minutes later, and and um, and she said like four other cars were pulling up as she left, and so I thought, oh, that'd be such such a fun thing to do on a bigger scale. Yeah. And so since then we've done a few, but but we get like a bunch of people all around the world to hide stuff, usually signed skateboards. But now I've actually gone out to to companies and saying, hey, if you want to get involved with this give us product and we'll hide it and we'll give you credit. Yeah. So now we're getting like Fender guitars and we're getting video games. And I mean, we've gotten like years supply of cornflakes. You know, it's just like all over the map. It's fun though. It's super fun. And, and you know, they don't expect that much in return except that they're included in this really cool activity. So where do you think this space is heading? You know, social media, social business, it's a fast moving space. Where do you think it's headed? This is where we are now, you know, but where is it going? Um, I think it's, uh, I, I think it's definitely a, a huge push in the future of, of marketing and in, in terms of, um, spreading information, just people's identities and, and, you know, where they live. I mean, people live on Facebook. They literally, if you try to link to a website outside of Facebook, it's like, I can't go, that's outside my world, yeah. <clears throat> you know, or anything like, where do I get this? Like, you can do the research. It doesn't, not everything is in this bubble of the universe, but that's the way it's becoming. Yeah. And you have to, you have to adapt to that. So what are you guys doing to adapt? Um, well, obviously all of our, you know, all of our products and, and foundation, everything has its own space or has its own, um, page or username or, you know, we, and like we have a Tony Hawk foundation, Twitter and Instagram, we've yeah. got, um, we've got a Facebook devoted just to the new game coming out and, um, just trying to be real time and not, not, not a dinosaur. So for those, you know, business owners who have got people doing that, like how involved or how hands-on are you with all that sort of in integration, implementation stuff, or are you kind of leaving it? Are you doing uh, the strategy no, I'm very, stuff? Well, I'm very hands-on, especially in, in terms of all the ones that are, include me personally, but, yeah. um, you got to do. You got to make it fun and interactive. That's the thing. You can't just be. You can't just be pushing out information, and you know, like offers of of you know coupon offers or things like that. It's got to be like, hey, you know, first one to answer this get something. I mean, honestly, like the biggest, the 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 most, uh, I, I guess the most success that I've had with it and the most attention that I've gotten is because I give stuff away. And that's not lost on me. I, I get it. You know, I understand. Yeah. Let's talk about the ride channel. So uh, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube now is also a big part of your program, right? My production company, 900 Films, we did a lot of programming, stuff for ESPN, instructional videos, you know, a lot of, a lot of action sports type stuff. We had a website called Shred or Die, which was um, that kind of content. But when, when you have a website that is producing video content, YouTube is the elephant in the room. You know, if you're not using YouTube Player, it's very unlikely that other websites are going to embed your videos or even go there at all or find them. Um, and so when we decided to, uh, well, when we wanted to do something much on a bigger scale, we brought it to YouTube. Like, hey, would you want to do this as a channel? Yeah. And our, we, our timing was perfect because they were talking about rolling out a bunch of new channels in, around the same time frame with different companies or celebrities and, and just more, more stuff that's in tune with, you know, with that person's world, let's say like Jay-Z, yeah. but something that is actually promoted and funded by YouTube. That, that's the whole key. I love the convergence of different industries. You know, um, 
action sports and music or entertainment and tech. But how is it like when Tony Hawk calls up YouTube? I mean, can you get a call back pretty quick? Or um, well, well, we had heard that they were looking for partners. That's that's really all we knew. And so we proactively went and said, who should we talk to? And we found the guy at YouTube that like I knew, you know, from. My agency that knew this guy that was a lawyer, but so they were responsive though. Made the connection, yeah, absolutely, and 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 ended up he he. I went to L.A. to have a meeting with him. He flew from um, Northern California, so you know there was effort on both of our parts to do it. And we showed him what our ideas were. We said, you know, this is what we think we could do. We we take this idea and make it bigger because you've got the viewers, you've got you know you've got the everything in place, the resources. And he said, this you know this is very. This is exciting. I'll go ask, ask my team, and they eventually gave us a pitch meeting at YouTube. Nice. So we flew up to YouTube with a, another group of people in the room, and according to them, like we knocked out of the park because we were the only ones that really had understood the 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 reach of it all and and could do the programming and the quality that they want. So what is it? Is it original uh, shows? Is it uh, original shows? We, do, we have a bunch of we have a bunch of weekly shows. We have we have daily shows like. Trick of the day, trick tip of the day, with all kinds of different pros and all kinds of different styles and things. Um, we have a show called Hand in Hand, which is basically uh, artists or entertainers that have been influenced by skating or were skaters themselves in their youth and how that inspired them through their through their success. Um, we have oh, we have so many. Descent TV is sort of my interview with other celebrities or musicians. Maybe don't have anything to do with skating, but I find interesting. One in a million is sort of a I don't want to say reality show, but it is it is like a group of skaters that are all getting eliminated and trying to get the dream and the and the one that wins is the is is the one that gets the sponsorship. So you've got this wide range of programming and, and for now it's all bottled up on YouTube and It's all yeah, on YouTube right channel, which is exactly where we had hoped we could be in the first place. I mean I, I wouldn't want it any other way, you know. I I don't I some of the shows that we're doing on YouTube is stuff that we had actually pitched to networks. But knowing that we would have to make a half-hour show out of it was kind of daunting, and to be honest, not very cost-effective. Yeah. Um, and now, now we're on YouTube. You know, things are anywhere from three to seven minutes in a segment, and that's all the attention span people have anyway. And you're the broadcaster. I mean, that's where I also see this space going. You know, as more and more people get empowered to do their own content production or their own whatever. You know, the hands are definitely, uh, the power is definitely being put in the hands yeah. of the people who are creating yeah, the content. Yeah, and, and a lot of the stuff that we're doing is not is, is user-generated user too. You know, we're saying submit 10 tricks and we will put them up and figure out, like, what they're worth monetarily. Yeah. <laughs> Tony, how do you want people to see you? How do I want people to How do you me? want people to view you? you know, um, I, I guess, I, you know, first and foremost, I would hope people thought I was, am and was an innovative skater. I mean that's that's the basis of how I got here is is my skating and walking the walk. Um, beyond that, you know, hopefully someone that has uh, that has changed the perception of skating and and helped it to grow and and helped um, help people after me to make careers out of it.